Let's open our time with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Father in heaven, when we come to you, we're always thankful that you promise to give us what we stand in need of by your grace. Pray that you would guide us by your spirit as we delve into the deep things of election, that we might maintain a proper perspective on what you have for us in your word, that we might have a proper sense of our own limitations and of your glory. Um, and also that we might pay careful attention to what you've revealed to us in Scripture for our benefit. So help us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we want to continue to talk about election uh, from the Canons of Dort, and I want to particularly look at Articles 8 and 9 this, what is it, morning, afternoon, whatever. Um, Is it morning? Yeah, morning still. Okay, Uh, where are we? Um, It's not a a good way to start, right? (laughs) Election, what time is it? Um, okay, so Articles 8 and 9, Articles 8 and 9 on, on uh, election from the first head of doctrine. So uh, if you're using the Psalter Hymnal, that's page 898. If you're using the Form and Prayers book, that's on 261. And if you're using the paperback small one, that's on 149. Okay, trying to be helpful. Um, so Articles 8 and 9. And so it's good for us to remember sort of how the heads of doctrine develop in the Canons of Dort. So we said that there's always a pattern that these things develop. The first is to begin with areas of common, we might say Catholic or universal agreement. So we started not with, like, let's just jump into the decree of election and get everybody upset. But we tried to start and say, let's start with the things that we know. Mankind is lost in sin, that because everybody was plunged into the guilt of Adam and everyone participates in Adam's rebellion, everyone deserves to go to hell. And God would not have been unjust in leaving everyone into the, the de- danger in which they've plunged themselves. But that God revealed his mercy in sending his son into the world um, to save sinners that said, whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So just as everyone equally deserves wrath, also equally everyone can come to the Lord Jesus and be saved. Um, And that God has sent forth gospel ministers to bring this message, and that there are some who hear the message and they believe because God has given them the gift of faith, and there are some people who hear the message and don't believe uh, because in the hardness and the stubbornness of their hearts, they turn their backs on God. Um, And then if we believe, it's because he's given us this gift. If we don't believe, it's our own faults for not believing in him. So those were really non-controversial points um, under election. And then we got to Article 7, which is the actual doctrine of election, the definition of election. Um, And so that's what the canons like to do. Start with common agreement, then get to the Reformed doctrine. And then once the Reformed doctrine's been articulated, then go and say, okay, now I know people are going to have problems with this. Um, I know we're going to need further explanation And I know that the Arminians are trying to undercut these things we've just said. And so in answer to some of those objections, we're going to articulate the doctrine in such a way that we're going to explain uh, the things that they're objecting to and try to help undergird those things with the proper teaching of Scripture. So always coming back to the Bible, this is not simply some, you know, extra-biblical theological exercise. Um, And it's meant to be very pastoral and practical. So our goal in these studies always, no matter how theological the article sounds, it, our goal is always to not have you sitting there with your eyes rolling back in your head as you know these theological terms wash over you that you don't understand. Um, and then you go home and think, I don't know what happened there. Um, 
I'm kind of blacked out for a while. Uh, that's, that's not what we're shooting for um, in this. We want to see how these things are practical and of, and of great importance for God's people. So we want to look together at Articles 8 and 9 together. Um, article 8 has to do with the single decision of election. The single decision of election. Um, how many decrees are there? How many choices is God making in eternity? How many decisions with, with regard to people? And so what we want to argue is there's a single decree of election taught in Scripture. Um, this election is not of many kinds. It is one and the same election for all who were to be saved in the Old and the New Testament. For Scripture declares that there is a good single pleasure, purpose, and plan of God's will by which he chose us from eternity both to grace and to glory both to salvation and to the way of salvation, which he prepared in advance for us to walk in. Um, it would be enough for us to spend our time just thinking about the glory of that statement. He chose us from eternity, both to grace and to glory. Um, but that, that's what the single decision of election is getting at. And we get that from Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30 where we read, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Um, and so we, we believe that, that there's one election that God makes, and that election, that choice, is that all of his people from all times would go from grace to glory. Um, you'll notice that it starts with the foreknowledge and predestination of God and goes all the way to glory. Um, that that it, There's no breaking point in any way along that. That's what's often been called in Reformed theology the golden chain. If you ever hear someone just use the golden chain, sometimes people use that so often, they'll use it and just expect you to know what they mean. They're talking about Romans 8, chapter 30. Those whom he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Those are chained together in that sense. And it's a golden chain because it leads to glory. Um, that's that's the, the beauty of what's being taught here. Um, God's single... God's single decision includes the end of election as well as the means. He's chosen the end for his people as well as the means for them to get there. Um, so we've been chosen for salvation and glory. Now, what's the way you get to salvation and glory? We're saved by grace through faith. Very good. Kind of tepid, but very good. <laughs> Technically correct. Okay. Faith. What else do we need to be saved? Sometimes the apostles would say blank, fill in the blank, and believe. Believe and be baptized. Okay. There's something else they would often say with believe. Repent and believe. Trust, heard somebody say. 
Okay? Who knows the hymn, Trust and Obey. I'll spare you my singing it to you. Um, So we obey. Okay, is there anything else that God calls us to do in his word? I mean, there's plenty of other things, right? Um, But God declared the end. He chose people for salvation and glory. And he chose them to these means. Which means that he chose that salvation and glory would happen through these things. Through repentance, faith, trust, baptism as a sign of that promise. Obedience that comes from faith, the fruit that we talked about in the morning sermon, right? The, the channel of grace that flows into the roots of God's people so that they bear fruit. Um, that's all part of it. Perseverance. So that it ends in glory. That God chose all of that for his people in one single decision of election. He chose both the end and the means. Um, and that that's the same for everyone. Um, it's, a, it's a unified, complete plan of God for saving a unified and complete people. Um, and that's always been God's one plan. Um, and what the Arminians would try to do is, is try to argue that God doesn't make this whole plan as one decision, but that there are various decisions that, that differ. Um, and this can be kind of complicated, but that God makes distinctions in, in how he does his plan. That God made a series of choices and not just one decree for all of his people, not just one decision for all of his people. And we see something of what they might have been arguing for um, in the article itself. So article eight starts by saying, this election is not of many kinds. It is one and the same election for all who are to be saved in the Old and the New Testament. So if anyone asks, how was Israel saved in the Old Testament? What, what should our answer be? By grace through faith, right? Um, and where might we go to prove that case to somebody in Scripture? Abraham, right? Um, we could go to Abraham. We could go to one particular chapter that talks about Abraham and Sarah and a lot of other people, Hebrews 11, right? All of them, but yeah, Abraham is a good example. Romans 4 talks about Abraham being the father of all the faithful. Um, Jesus talked that way in his earthly ministry. John 8 is very interesting in this regard. If you're ever dealing with people who think the Old Testament people of God were saved in a different way than the New Testament people of God were saved, you can think about the interchange that Jesus has with the religious leaders in John 8. John 8, 39 and 40, he says, They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing what Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. And then a little later in that chapter, Jesus says, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. He rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it. That's an interesting way to put it, isn't it? Um, he saw it and was glad. Now they have problems with that, right? Because he says, you're not 50 years old and you've seen Abraham? Right, they, they say, how can Abraham have seen you or how can you have seen Abraham? Um, and he said, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. 
um, one of the great claims of divinity that Christ makes in the New Testament. Um, but you see what, what he's saying is, Abraham saw me. Now, how did Abraham see Jesus? He saw him with the eyes of faith. Uh, and the Old Testament saints were saved by having the Spirit reveal to them that there was a Savior coming. So they were still b- saved by belief in Christ. They just didn't see him as clearly as we see him now after his coming into the world. Uh, they saw things about him. But again, why, why was Abraham able to see Jesus? It was because the Spirit opened his eyes to see Jesus. Um, that's often a problem people have with, with Old Testament saints being saved by faith. They'll say, well, how could they have put their faith and trust in Jesus who hadn't even come yet? Um, and what that ignores is the fact that there has to be something that happens before any of this all happens, which is regeneration, which I can't fit in there. So I'm going to put it over here. But that's the newness of life that's implanted into us that allows us to do all of these things. Because without a heart that's been enlivened by the work of the Holy Spirit and called, you wouldn't be able to, to live. Um, and what, what it's t- Jesus is testifying to is the Holy Spirit worked in the heart of Abraham and opened his eyes that he could see the Jesus that was to come, even if he doesn't see him as clearly as we've seen him, having been pictured for us in Scripture, living this side of his coming. Um, but this is all still true, and that's, that, was whole, that was Jesus' whole point. Nope. Yes, you, you may. Yeah, uh, the, the means, that, uh, again, I'm a little confused, you know, sola fide, mm-hmm. but you're adding, you know, all these other things. Well, I don't understand that. Yeah, that... Sure, yeah. Yeah, the, that's a good question. If, if we're saved by faith alone, then why am I putting these other things in the means to yes. salvation? Yes. Um, well... They're not the things that lead to salvation as conditions, but they're the things that flow from faith. Right, yeah. So this would be really, this is what is the means of salvation is faith, if we want to put it strictly speaking. Um, that's the means of salvation. Um, but this is the, what, the fruit of what flows from faith. Um, these things flow from it. I mean, not strictly speaking, right? Baptism, you can be baptized without having faith, but... Um, it's a, still a sign of faith. Um, so yeah, we want to make, make it clear. But what, the reason we're saying it this way is because there were people who said the way to salvation, not everything on that point is decided by God. Um, that was the Arminian error to say salvation and glory are, are not, um, the end might be prescribed, but not every, every one of the means. So you still need to persevere. Um, and that's the condition on which you're chosen. Uh, so we'll get into that a little bit later. So, yeah, but thank you for pointing that out. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, on account of, what, of Christ alone. We're not saved by our obedience. We're not saved by our perseverance. But this is the way of salvation that God has us to walk. Um, and the reason that, that the Reformers wanted to be clear, all of that flows from faith. Faith is a gift of God. Why does he give that gift? Because of his choice of election. So they don't want at any point for someone to be able to separate these things out and say God can decree one but not the other. And that's where they're getting into decrees of different kinds. So yeah, thank you for pointing that out. Is that clear to everybody? It's not your obedience that saves you. But faith is never alone. It always produces fruit. Um, And so what some people have done over time is to say, 
That's, that's tr- perfectly true. God decrees that you will believe. But now you've got to produce the obedience of faith and persevere in it to be saved. And then what they do is they're separating these things out and actually cutting all of these things off and making those things a condition of being saved. Is that clear as mud? Um, that, yeah, go ahead, James. That's a great way of putting it, yeah. Um, we're saved by faith alone, we also will say, but never by a faith that is alone. That faith always flows into obedience, a perseverance, a life that's lived according to God. So yeah, we're justified by, say that again, how you, I don't want to say it. Justification always leads to sanctification, and sanctification always leads to glorification, right? That's what we mean by that chain. Those things are unbroken. But what, but what Arminians, some Arminians did, because they're not, they're not just one group of people, but what some of them tried to do is separate that chain and say, God can elect you to justification because you really can't believe without him. But now what you need to do is to endure to the end. And it's really God looking down the corridor of time and seeing that you will endure to the end that made him choose you in the first place. Um, And so how do you know that you're elect? Well, those who are elect persevere to the end. That's how they would argue. And then it's like, okay, so I don't know I'm elect until I'm dead? Like, yeah, that's when you know someone was elect. They've persevered to the end. Because someone couldn't have per- might not persevere to the end. Maybe God only decreed certain of these things for them, but not, not perseverance to the end. That, that gets into some of the errors they make. Um, but I want this to be sufficiently clear. There, there, are, there are ways of talking. This is what makes it confusing. There are conditions that produce something and conditions that flow from something. And the problem is people will call both conditions. Um, And so what you always need to ask is, is that the condition that leads to X, or is that the condition that flows from X? You see how those are different questions altogether. Um, And what we're saying is what God does is what leads to salvation. And when God saves, there are things that flow from those saved people. Um, and, and it's almost always a, mi- a messing up of conditions that gets people confused. Because sometimes you'll hear, you'll hear people say, well, you know, good works are a condition of being saved. There's a lot of people who are liking to talk about that way right now. Um, the good works are the way of salvation. They're the condition for being saved. And they're using condition in this term. That it's a condition because it flows from The problem is that's not usually what comes to our minds when we hear a condition. We usually hear it in this way, and that's where people are getting confused. So my my obedience leads to my salvation? No. Because you're saved, you obey. Um, And that's where people can get really confused, and that's what the Arminians tended to do. Instead of having things that flowed from faith, they were saying those are actually the things that lead to salvation. And they're actually the conditions for which God chooses you. He sees that you fulfill the conditions and then he chooses you based on your fulfillment. And so it actually becomes all about you and not about him. Now I know this gets really confusing, but this is, the devil is subtle. So I'm not trying to say all Arminians are devils. Um, there's got to be a handful that aren't. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, 
the, the, the point is, what happens here is, it's easy to confuse people, right? Like I've probably done it already. Um, it's easy to confuse us, but what we always want to say is, everything flows from God to us. Right? Now this is getting confusing on the board, so I'm going to erase it and start over. Everything flows from God to us. And that's, that's what the Reformers said when it comes to election. And all we're doing is tracing back through Scripture what we clearly see in God's people. So what we started was from, from judgment. We need faith. And what we're asking is, where does faith come from? Well, it's a gift of God. Okay, good. Now we're asking the question, why does the gift come to us? It's because of God's choice. All, that's all we're doing is saying, going back and saying, why did I believe? Well, Ephesians 2 says it was a gift of God. Election is saying, why did God give the gift? It's because that was the choice he made in eternity. Not because of what was in you, but because of what was in him. Because he made that choice, he gave you this gift, which is faith. Because of faith, you're saved. And from faith flow all those benefits of salvation. Obedience, right? Um, perseverance. Everything about sanctification, glory. It all flows from there. And that's really what Article 9 kind of gets into as well. Um, election is not based on foreseen faith. Um, so this is not, God doesn't make the choice because he saw that you would have faith. That's exactly what the Bible says is the opposite. It says God need to make the choice so you get the gift of faith and from faith flow all of these things. Right? So justification leads to sanctification, however you want to say it. Um, we're saved by faith alone, but never by a faith that is alone. Um, however you want to say it. This is, this is the way things work. And so it's from God from first to last. He chooses to give this gift as a father in eternity, before anyone had done anything good or bad. Right? Um, he made this, this choice to give the gift of faith, send his son into the world to save sinners, send his Holy Spirit to unite them to Christ, by faith, so that all the gifts of Christ would flow to them. It's from God from first to last. That's the whole point. So Article 9 says, this same election took place not on the basis of foreseeing faith, of the obedience of faith, of holiness, or of any other good quality and disposition, as though it were based on a prerequisite cause or condition in the person to be chosen, but rather for the purpose of faith, of the obedience of faith, of holiness, and so on. Accordingly, election is the source of each of these benefits of salvation. Faith, holiness, and the other saving gifts, and at last eternal life itself, now flow forth from election as its fruits and effects. As the apostle said, he chose us, not, not because we were, but so that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. Um, so th these questions and, and comments have been good because they've actually anticipated exactly where Article 9 has gone. Um, so you've just, you've stepped us up sooner than I meant to, but we got there all the same. 
election is the fruit. That's all we mean by choice. Election is the fruit. Everything else is the effect. Everything else, sorry, election is the source. Everything else is the fruit and effect of election. God makes a choice and everything flows out of his choice. Um, and the Armenians turn that around by saying election actually happens on account of what God sees you doing. And then he chooses you based on that. So it actually seems to put election into history and take it out of eternity. Because God looks down the corridor of time and sees what you're going to do. And on the basis of what he sees you're going to do, he chooses you. Um, now that's not what the Bible says, and that's why it's important to go to Ephesians 1.4. I was just going to say, and that shows that um, fallacy in that, that God is subject to you. Right. Yeah, that comment is exactly right. It makes God subject to you. It makes the eternal God brought into history because he's now dependent on what happens in history, which can't be for an eternal God. He's not bound by what happens in history. It also means that you're saved because of something that's in you. That God chooses you, so then you can take some credit for it. God saw that I would do it, and therefore he chose me. Now you have a reason to boast. Um, You have a reason to say, I I chose something that other people didn't choose. Um, I made the smart decision when other other people made the stupid decision. Um, It actually also militates against humility. Because we don't see ourselves completely as debtors to our Father in Heaven. We see ourselves as chosen because we're better than other people. Because we saw what they didn't see. We did what they couldn't do. Um, We did these things. Now, this is always very difficult because you can see how subtly you can mess this up. Um, And and you can have it, you know, you can sometimes have with these things, all right, now I've got it in my mind. And then you talk to Arminian for a few minutes and now it's like slipped out of your grasp. You're like, I had it. I just had it. Um, But now I've lost the thread. And, and that, all we, all we want to do is to say, how are we saved? We're saved by grace through faith. Where does faith come from? It's a gift. Why does the gift come? Because of God's choice. And why does God make his choice? Because of his good purpose. That's the whole point of Romans 9. I chose them before they had done anything good or bad. Before Jacob or Esau had done anything good or bad, I said, Jacob I've loved and Esau I've hated. And so why does... Jacob end up being a son of faith, a true son of Abraham. Because God purposed to love him. Gave him the gift of faith and made him someone who actually obeyed God, persevered, and is in glory. Who's living now, even though he's dead. And still testifies of his faith in God. Um, now, that's not how we remember Jacob. You know, I, I can see someone going like, I read, I've read my Old Testament. That's a pretty... That's a pretty It's a pretty nice review of Jacob's life. Um, The problem is you have to say about Jacob's life what Hebrews 11 says about Jacob's life and what was true of Jacob's life. He was a man of faith. Why was he a man of faith? Because God gave him the gift. And why did God give him the gift? Because God has set love on him before he had done anything. Um, And that's the important thing that you have to see in Ephesians 1-4 to make this point. Because an Arminian will say, you're going to Romans 8, and Romans 8 talks about foreknowledge. Those who God foreknew. And so they say, it's right there. God foreknew them, and that's why he did these things. But the problem is, that can't hold up when you compare it to other scriptures like Ephesians 1-4. 
Um, look, look with me at Ephesians 1.4. This is really important. It's there in the article if you don't have it in your, in your Bibles. Um, but Ephesians 1.4 is very important to see what the argument that Paul's making um, that flows from God's choice. So it's there in the article too um, if you want to see it. But um, blessed, so we read in Ephesians 1.3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And here's, here's the key. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. He chose us that we should be holy and blameless. He did not choose us because we would be holy and blameless. In fact, if you want to take the Greek that's there really woodenly, it just would say, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless. Or to be, he chose us to be holy and blameless. I mean, it's almost even clearer in the Greek. We have to smooth it out because of the language, because it's a part of a big sentence here. But in Greek, it's even clearer. He chose us to be holy and blameless. That was the choice he made. And so it turns that verse on its head if you say he chose us because we would be holy and blameless. Um, He chose us to be holy and blameless. That's what he does. Um, And when scripture talks about foreknowledge, it talks about God's foreknowledge of what he will do, not his foreknowledge of what human beings will do. That's not what's in focus there with his foreknowledge. Um, It's the foreknowledge of God and what he will do, not the foreknowledge of people and what they will do. God knows those things, but that's not what's being spoken about here. Um, And so the whole point of the decree of election is to say, God chose us for all of these things. And he chose us from grace to glory. And what Arminians have tried to do in in all kinds of different ways is try to invade somewhere in here and put conditions in, which is why grace goes to glory, or you chose to go from grace to glory, or God chose part of this path, but not the whole thing. Um, And why scripture holds it together as a unified whole. Um, And that's the the advantage of understanding that, that chain that's in Romans. Those he predestined, he called, those he called, he justified, those he justified, he glorified. Justification always leads to glory. And God has ordained not just the, mean, the end of salvation for us, glory, but grace, the way we come to glory. Um, and so God gets into all of that and decrees all of that, and that all comes to us because of his decree. And so we have to see everything as flowing out of God's plan. Um, because what, what the Arminians do is they tend to put conditions into why God makes the choices he makes wherever they condition it. And it ends up becoming uncertain then if you'll ever get to glory. Um, so what it, so we might say what the Bible says is this is God's salvation, grace to glory, period. Right. Um, in, in the text world, we now know how important a period is. Um, I'm still learning because I'm not totally hip with all this stuff. But, you know, if you say to someone, okay, period, like, whoa, hostile. Um, <laughs> just say, okay, or just a million, a million exclamation points. Then I know you're being friendly about it, but like, okay, period. Like, 
sorry to offend. Um, God says grace to glory, period. End of discussion. That's it. That's the way it is. That's the choice he makes for his people. Grace to glory. Um, What the Armenians do is they come in and go, grace to glory. They'll say, maybe, if you persevere. But there could be some people who God decreed would have a faith, but not a faith that persevered. The kind of faith that falls away. They don't actually persevere all the way to glory. And what it does is it takes God's certain decree and makes it uncertain because it makes it dependent on us. Um, We have to meet the conditions, and it's because we met the conditions that he elects us. That's why it's conditional election for Arminians. It's based on something. Um, but as my dad said in his book on, on the Canons of Dort, what you do, all of these distinctions that the Armenians make amount to this. One may be elect in many ways and receive many gifts from God and still be lost eternally. Um, and the, the question has to be, is that the salvation that God promises in the Scripture? Um, does Jesus Christ say, I come to them and give them life, maybe? Right? No, he says, I give them eternal life and they will not perish. All those who the Father has given to me will come to me and all those who come to me I'll never cast out. I will raise them up on the last day. Yes? Yeah, what the the Arminians would say is, all we're trying to do is say that's not what God decrees. He doesn't make that kind of certain decree that you'll go from grace to glory. He's decreed conditions, not Christians. So he's decreed that all those who believe and obey and persevere will see glory. Listen, that's all clear in Scripture. But what God has not said is that you will believe and obey and persevere and go to glory. That God elects conditions, not Christians. Or conditions, not people. But that makes it uncertain whether you will go from, from grace to glory. And it all depends on you working this out. Um, and so, and, and the problem we always want to say is we're just trying to go back to Scripture and say, what does Scripture teach about the nature of the salvation that God provides? Is it that God makes salvation possible and you have to then make it actual? Or does God actually save? And that's what becomes clear as we move from election to the other points of doctrine, is that actually what it does is it makes it all fall apart if, if election falls apart. Um, if it's not God's choice to do these things, if it's not his plan of redemption that he's worked out, that he sketched out as a blueprint before the foundation of the world, um, then Christ can't really have died for anyone We can't really know who the Spirit has applied that salvation to. We can't really say that anyone would persevere. Really, the whole of what Scripture teaches about God's plan of salvation falls apart. And what we'd want to say is, in in Romans 8, what do you learn very clearly? It can't fall apart. Those who he predestined, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. 
or I missed something called, right? Um, predestined, he called, those he called, he justified, those he justified, he glorified. That can't be broken because he's doing it, right? It's not, he, he predestined and he called and they got themselves justified and they got themselves glorified. Um, and that's what people will still do is, yeah, God gives, a, they'll, they'll break it at some point in the chain. They'll always try to invade a condition, and say, okay, that all depends on God, but this depends on you. Perseverance depends on you. But no, that doesn't. It, from, from the end to the means to the end, God prescribes it all, has made that decision in eternity, and applies it all by his spirit. Yeah. Right. Yeah, he who perseveres to the end will be saved. That's true. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's why one of our fundamental convictions has to be um, yeah, there are passages that say he who perseveres to the end will be saved, but it doesn't say why you persevere to the end. It doesn't say that you're going to persevere to the end. It's sort of saying, like, well, the word says, you know, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Like, what sense do you make of that passage? And I say, well, you make the sense that the next part of that passage makes. Work out your own salvation in fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. You have to read all of Scripture together. And what a lot of Arminians will do is they'll say, what about this verse? And you'll say, sure, let's take that verse and see how you make sense of it with your reading in light of what God says in John 6 or John 10 or Romans 8. The problem that Arminians have is they have texts that they cannot reconcile to the rest of Scripture if they read it that way. Or the way they read it means everybody's saved. You know, so you, you will sometimes have people, and I don't want to downplay it all that these are genuine questions that people are asking. I never want to be, you know, dismissive of someone who comes and says, look, I'm, I'm reading the Bible and I'm having a real tough time seeing how what you're saying flows from the scripture. Um, and I think we have fallen into the trap of talking to Arminians and, well, you have your passages and we have ours. Um, well, you know, God doesn't speak out of two sides of his mouth. The word is a whole. And so if, if we want to understand together and reason together, we have to take the passages that are causing someone trouble and take other passages and read them in the light of those clearer passages, right? There are passages that sound like God is not willing that any should perish, right? And then people will say, see, how can you say that God has, has reprobated people? or decided to pass over some people. Um, but to that person, you would you just have to say, so you believe everyone is saved? Well, no, they don't, they don't really want to say that. Um, so it's like, okay, well then, that clearly doesn't mean that just because God wills that none should perish, that means that none perish. Because the scriptures clearly teach elsewhere that people perish. So we have to be able to explain that in the light of clearer passages to teach things, and that's what we're trying to do. And almost always I find with people, I always, I always say to people, if you find a verse that's really confusing, take a running start before you get to it. So if you're looking at a verse in isolation you find really confusing, I always say get a running start. Back up two chapters and read your way into it and see if it causes you that same trouble um, if you've read the context of two chapters before it and two chapters after it. Because sometimes in the, in the close context, it will explain clearly what's meant by that. Um, and so, you know, 
we're going to say a lot throughout the course of this study. Arminians think this, and that's what, this is why they're wrong. And, um, you know, even the rejection of errors sometimes say, that smacks of Pelagius. Um, it's like, okay, that does smack of Pelagius. Um, I'm not saying all Arminians are Pelagians. And um, Pelagians just said, you have everything in yourself. You don't need any grace. You can figure it out on your own. Um, they were the people that Augustine was arguing against. But... Um, yeah, so we're going to talk about Arminians, but we should never, ever, with somebody, this is not a stick to beat people on the head with. That's not the purpose of why we've been given the doctrine of election. Why do we say at the beginning we've been given the doctrine of election? For our comfort. Some other people said other things. That's other, we might have also said those things that you said. I didn't catch them. But for our comfort, that's why we have it. Um, it's not a stick to beat someone else over the head with. It's, a, it's to be a comfort so that we can say, the reason I believe is that God gave me the gift of faith, and I can praise his name for that. And the amazing thing is that because I've come to believe, that means that he made a choice from before the foundation of the world to save me. And because he's made that choice, this gift was given and I have faith and I can be confident that everything else I need will flow from that gift and end in my glory. That's the point of this. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, you always have to, right, you always have to, figure out with people to what good will it be to really argue about these things. But we always have to remember, this is the point of, of the whole exercise is comfort. You got comfort from it and that's wonderful. And that's always the thing because obviously grace to glory, if that's God's plan for us, that's comforting. Um, if anyone puts a, a, blo- a block through at any point, that's not comforting. Now we don't do this because it's psychological, right? This is not the purpose that I just need to be comforted so I have to make everything work. But what this does ultimately is say that God is half a savior. The Belgian Confession makes that statement and it says, is Jesus a savior or is he half a savior? Does he save or does he do part of the work and require something else of you? Obedience, perseverance, whatever. Um, And and the, the point that the Belgian Confession makes is if he leaves any of this to us, if grace to glory for the Christian is not the work of God and some of it is our work, then Jesus is not a savior, he's half a savior. Um, and is that the message that scripture teaches us? Um, no, they're gonna call his name Jesus because he'll save his people from their sins. Um, and so grace to glory is what Jesus does and anything less than that actually robs God of the proper glory of what he's done. All right, we're out of time. So let me close with prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for the clarity of your word that teaches us that you chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless. We thank you, Lord, that you did not choose on account of something in us for what could we expect from that choice but the judgment we deserve, but that you chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that you chose us to be holy, that you predestined us to be called by your word, to be called to our Lord Jesus Christ, that he might justify us through faith by attaching his work to us. We thank you for that reminder that even though we have sinned against all of your commands, even though we're still inclined towards all evil, 
that out of sheer grace you've granted and credited to us the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ, as if we had never sinned or been sinners, and as if we were as perfectly obedient as he was obedient for us. And we thank you that all we have to do is accept that gift with a believing heart. And we thank you to know that even that believing heart is a gift from you. And so, Lord, we thank you for being the giving God who gives to people who are so undeserving, not just your grace, but also the promise that you will cause that grace to endure in us, to be fruitful, and to ultimately grant us life. Thank you for your blessing to us. May we always glorify you for the salvation you've worked in us from grace to glory. And hear us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thank you.